Okay, welcome everyone to the Horty Springer and Mattern Health Law Expressions podcast. Moving to a three-year appointment period is now the time. I'm Charlie Shulak, and I'm here with my partner, Susan LaPenta. Hello. Hello. Glad to be here with you, Charlie. <laughs> Likewise. And we're going to be your speakers for today's podcast or presenters. And for those hospitals that are accredited by the Joint Commission, you're probably already aware of the announcement that came in mid-December that effective immediately, hospitals could begin reappointing and renewing clinical privileges for practitioners every three years rather than every two years. And we know that you know this because you've called us and emailed us and texted us and said, That's right, right, right. That's why we're having the podcast. Fielding lots of questions and hopefully we'll be able to answer those questions for you during this podcast. Um, So, you know, again, this probably doesn't come as too much of a surprise because the Joint Commission has been, you know, talking about this for quite some time. We here at Horty Springer and Matter and heard some rumblings about, you know, moving to the three-year appointment period over the summer conferences, uh, and then the Joint Commission issued an FAQ that was titled, How Are Reappointment Reprivileging Dates Determined? And in that FAQ, they referenced a appointment period of three years. Um, so we knew that it was coming. Uh, again, it's probably no surprise, and we're going to try to answer all the questions that you have about that moving to a three-year appointment period. So why, why do we have this change? Well, many people believe that the reappointment process, coupled with a robust, ongoing monitoring peer review process, is redundant, since the two processes evaluate, you know, for the most part, a lot of the same information. They also talk about the amount of time and resources that are invested in reappointment. When there's such a significant effort devoted to one process, such as reappointment, other required processes may suffer. So for example, an unintended result may be less of a focus on review and evaluation of ongoing peer review data or OPPE, which we'll talk about later. Thus, by moving to a three-year appointment cycle, those involved in the credentialing and peer review processes would have more time and energy to review the data that's collected through this ongoing monitoring process. So basically, we're freeing up some time and energy to focus on other important processes, primarily the peer review process. At least theoretically. 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 (laughs) Theoretically. Yes. So you might also be asking, well, why do we have this two-year appointment cycle in the first place? Well, it's most likely driven by CMS uh, in the hospital conditions of participation. And these are the regulations. I'm sure all of you know this, but I'll just say it for the podcast, that hospitals have to comply with to participate in the Medicare and Medicaid programs. Now, the regulations state that the medical staff of a hospital must periodically conduct appraisals of its members. Now, CMS also issues interpretive guidelines to those regulations, the conditions of participation, and surveyors use those interpretive guidelines when they're conducting surveys to guide those surveys. And in the interpretive guidelines, they recommend that an appraisal be conducted at least every 24 months for each practitioner. Now, it was never really clear what was the rationale underlying this recommendation, so people have questioned the need for it, especially in light of rather rigorous requirements for peer review. Now, we always 
thought that, you know, you reappraise your practitioners through the reappointment process to ensure that they're still competent. And there's nothing that you might have missed through the peer review process. Um, you do that thorough assessment of them every two years, which makes sense to protect patients. But these were the questions. CMS never really um, articulated the rationale for that two-year recommendation. So, you know, some of you might be saying that this is long overdue, considering other entities have either moved to a longer appointment period or deferred to hospitals and medical staffs on this particular issue, and the particular issue is time frame for appointment periods. Uh, and just to give you an example, DNV, Hospital Accreditation Entity, for quite some time has permitted hospitals to renew clinical privileges every three years. And for those hospitals or group practices that do credentialing for payer enrollment, the NCQA, which is the entity that accredits health insurers, also permits a three-year credentialing cycle. Now, each of these entities, including the Joint Commission, now that they've come out with this new pre-publication standard, defers to state law when it comes to appointment periods. And this is very, very important. Uh, and what the Joint Commission's standard says that privileges are granted for a period not to exceed three years, this is the new standard, and then it goes on to stay, or for the period required by law or regulation, if shorter. And CMS and DNV have similar language. Therefore, when it comes to what is permitted by way of timeframes for reappointment, state law or regulation controls, to the extent that those sources define a shorter time frame. And we see this on the books in some states. You know, for example, in Idaho, uh, the state hospital licensing regulations require that reappointments be made at least every two years. So that controls in Idaho for the time being. In North Carolina, they have a similar requirement in their hospital licensing regulations. So not quite sure if the Joint Commission has enough sway over the lawmakers in the states, but, you know, we could see some changes in state laws or regulations to be consistent with what the Joint Commission, DNV, and NCQA require in terms of appointment periods. So, Charlie, putting the state law aside, but focusing on the interpretive guidelines, which did reference two years, you're not concerned that someone, you know, that the interpretive guidelines are going to control, right? You're, you know, given the fact that the Joint Commission standard has changed, you're comfortable, and that DNB has always had this, and NCQ has always had this. You're comfortable that the, you know, going with three years is going to be consistent with the conditions of participation, or not inconsistent with the conditions of participation. Yeah, I'm very comfortable with that because it's uh, it's only a recommendation from CMS, and then further, it's in the interpretive guidelines, and the interpretive guidelines are what's called sub-regulatory guidance. Um, so they don't have the same force and effect as the regulations or the conditions of participation. And I can't imagine this wasn't run by that the you know the CMS CMS had to know what the Joint Commission was doing yeah. in this area. So because people have asked, you know, is it going to be okay with with the conditions of participation or consistency? I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be yeah, and especially the, the Joint Commission and DNV have you know deemed status right. Um, so if they're doing a survey and they're saying okay, three year appointment period, that's going to trump. Um, you know, CMS interpretive guidelines recommendations, not necessarily Trump, but CMS has, you know, said that your, your standards are okay. Yeah. They give yeah. you deemed status. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to explore a little bit, how do you feel, Charlie, about whether going from a two-year reappointment cycle to a three-year reappointment cycle is going to be sufficient to protect patients? Because you said, I mean, why would we do appointment and reappointment? We do it because, hey, 
because credentialing is the foundation for quality. Do you do you think this is going to have any effect on quality care? Yeah, I mean, so you know, when this first came out, we did have some questions about it, and you know, um, it, there there can be some changes to ensure that you protect patients if you do move to that three year appointment period. Um, so, uh, you know, medical staff should have a well functioning peer review process that's going to be multifaceted. If you think about the industry standards right now, most hospitals and medical staffs have initial focus professional practice evaluation to confirm competence. They also have ongoing professional practice evaluation, and then they have focus professional practice evaluation when a concern is raised. Now, when the Joint Commission first came out with those uh, requirements for peer review, OPPE, FPPE, um, there was discussion about whether the OPPE process could replace the reappointment process because, again, a lot of the same information was being considered or was thought to be considered as a part of those two processes. I mean, that's what the Joint Commission said back yeah. then when they first came out with that standard. They were actually going to do away with reappointment altogether. And I remember thinking at that time that was a good idea, and, and they backed away from that. But I think your, your, yeah, your point is well taken, which is if you have a great, robust, thorough OPP process, that should, should be yeah. good. Yeah, and the key is yeah. robust, <laughs> robust, thorough OPP process, which, you know, I'm not sure if that's happening, you know, across the country when it comes to hospitals and medical staffs. You know, I think some do it better than others, but that's something that you should consider uh, when you're moving to this three-year, if you want to move to this three-year appointment cycle, you know, how well does your peer review process function? You need to really take a look at that and be self-critical uh, and be candid and be honest about your peer review process. Because if you move to that three-year reappointment process and you have a really good, robust OPP, FPP process, I'm pretty comfortable that you're going to have good protections in place to ensure patient safety and to protect patients. Because to your point, we, we never really wanted people to wait to address a problem until reappointment anyway. I mean, right, was that, that was the whole purpose of peer review. You would be, you would identify an issue, you would deal with that issue. And at the time. Yeah, and and yeah. Then you might reinforce an issue or a concern at reappointment. You might re visit uh, an issue, but you don't want to ignore things. And so I think people generally have been adopting that approach. And so hopefully this will yeah. be a positive thing. And that's key. Is a you know, it's important to be able to recognize when there's an issue. And OPP is supposed to be designed to do that. Um, but a lot of the, I don't want to say a lot of the times, but sometimes we see OPP reports and they're all numbers, right? And, you know, they're reviewed once every 12 months, uh, and sometimes it might be a cursory review rather than an in-depth review. It's hard to discern trends. So you might want to look at your OPP process. And there was an FAQ put out by the Joint Commission where they say that your OPP process should include not only quantitative data, numbers that you know, we see in most of the reports, but also qualitative data. And then they suggest that that qualitative data on someone's clinical practice should be obtained through uh, medical record review, chart review, through uh, discussion with those that work with that practitioner. So if you don't have that incorporated into your OPP process, that might be a consideration to, you know, make sure that you're catching issues uh, early on and uh, intervening as appropriate. That being said, you know, you don't have to do that 
every single time you review an OPP report, every 12 months. You can do it maybe, you know, every two years, not as, you know, a replacement for reappointment, just to make sure that you're seeing any trends or concerns that are being raised. Okay, so with that, uh, you know, some other considerations that we wanted to talk about, necessary changes to your governance documents, your medical staff governance documents in particular. Can you speak to that, Susan? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, when I first started thinking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there'll be two or three changes that you'll want to make to your bylaws and or credentials policy. Um, I actually had the opportunity this morning to work with a client on this, and I was surprised to find like 15 or 16 changes that needed to be made. So, you know, you want to think of this broadly and not just go in and look at one particular section. It's an easy find, right? You can search for two, you can search for years, yeah. you, just to double check. But, you know, surely you're, you're, you're likely to have uh, language in your bylaws or credentials policy that, you know, talks about the initial recommendation made by the credentials committee and maybe even a conditional initial appointment, which we often say maybe for less than two years. Obviously, that would be changed to maybe less than three years. Typically, the board, the language pertaining to the board's action says appointment will be for no greater than two years. Now, you would say no greater than three years. Same thing for the grant of clinical privileges. Same for the thing for the grant of telemedicine privileges. And you might have language in those various sections. The reappointment, you might have language there, which says it will be for no greater than and you'll just want to go in and change that two to make it a three. The other, the one I, that I actually forgot about, um, and, and but saw when I was searching was we have language in our hearing section, which has not only actions that trigger a right to a hearing, but actions that do not trigger a right to a hearing. And we say you don't get a right to a hearing um, if you have been uh, reappointed for less than two years, and it's a conditional appointment. So again, that would be a easy change from two to three. What I um, was, again, a little bit surprised to find when I searched the documents was that um, there was language in the staff categories pertaining to the two-year term of appointment because um, in our bylaws, we say that you're going to count patient contacts on a, an appointment term, and we happen to say a two-year appointment term. We also count service hours of so people who may not have patient contacts but work um, and, and, and serve on medical staff in you know, a leadership way or committees or do peer review, they might also be on the active staff if they have certain service hours. Again, we were counting those in a two-year appointment term. You would want to up it and up the number probably. Make, I think we were recommending, or in this particular set of bylaws, it was 20 service hours uh, in a two-year period, so it would probably be 30 service hours in a three-year time frame. So you just want to make sure you're looking yeah, through all the, of your do documents. Do the math. Do, do them. <laughs> we know Charlie's good at math. <laughs> Small numbers, two, and anything less than 30. <laughs> you know, the other question that's come up is, um, well, if we want to go from two to three years for the appointment term, is that just like a technical change that we can make through maybe the MEC and the and the board not having to vote on that? by the entire medical staff. Now, no, not that anyone's going to oppose it, because I suspect everyone will very much be in favor of this change. But I think generally, if you only have medical staff bylaws and all of this language is in your bylaws, I don't think you can just call this a technical change. Uh, and Charlie, I don't know, you may disagree with me. You know, our documents, and many of you probably have our documents, we kind of bifurcate them and break them into different documents. The credentials policy, and that's where most of our language was, uh, initial appointment, conditional appointment, board action, all of those provisions are in our credentials policy. And the amendment process for the credentials policy allows changes to be made by the MEC 
after notice to the voting members of the medical staff and an opportunity for comment. And so the credentials policy could be changed by the MEC with approval by the board. And then I think once you build it into your credentials policy, if you're going back to your bylaws and just adjusting to re be consistent with what the credentials policy said, I feel comfortable that could be a technical change and would not require a vote by the entire medical staff. But if you have everything in one document, it's all the bylaws, and the medical staff has to vote on the bylaws, I think you've got to have to have a, a vote um, by the bylaws. Yeah, and sure, issues. sure, and you want to follow your bylaws uh, and the amendment process in your bylaws. But when it comes to this change, requiring practitioners to submit an application every three years instead of two, uh, you're probably not going to get much pushback um, from the, I have <laughs> not heard, on your medical staff. I have heard bit, uh, zero pushback from physicians <laughs> on this issue, so I expect that it will not be controversial at all. But I, then I think you want to be careful in following yeah, the absolutely. process. Don't find yourself in, in a difficult. But then you know, I started looking through some of our other documents, and I actually did not see any other changes that would be needed. So mm -hmm. um, might want to consider that, but probably okay in other areas. You know, one of the things that, um, and this kind of goes to the, the, you know, having a robust process for OPP. The other thing that concerns me a little bit about going to a three-year period is what information will you not be getting about an individual that you would or do get at reappointment? And, and for instance, malpractice claims. We often know people, even though the application form and even though the, the bylaws and credentials policy often require people to update their application form, we know that doesn't always happen. And so at reappointment, we often will find out, oh, gosh, 18 months ago, this person was named in a malpractice case. We didn't know about it. And maybe if we did, we would have wanted to look into it. Or maybe there was an action taken by another hospital. Now, certain things would go in the data bank. So we might find out about that through a continuous query if they were terminated from another step. But maybe they were subject to a performance improvement plan at another hospital that they would have had to include on their application, but we didn't learn about that because we didn't get that update. So I think that to me is my biggest concern, and it might be something that you want to be proactive about in reminding members of your medical staff of their obligation to notify you of any changes that might occur on their application and do that in a timely fashion that they are not permitted to wait until the reappointment time. I have medical staffs that now kind of routinely every six months or so send out a reminder. This is very important. You have to give us updated information. And if you have language in your documents that, you know, you might also have some teeth to that language saying something along the lines. And if you fail to notify us and we discover it, that could be grounds for an automatic relinquishment of appointment and clinical privileges. And that may be language we have to use going forward because, again, some of that information really is critical. You really don't want to wait two years. It's outside information, um, and, and I think it, you know, it, it could affect the, the peer review process if we don't have access to that in a timely fashion. Yeah, and I've had medical staffs do the same thing, and you know, a memorandum from the, the president saying, hey, you know, any change to your application, you know, in between you know, reappointment periods, you have to you know, submit uh, that information to us at the time of the change. Right. Uh, right. Because most people aren't aware of that, even though they're required to review and understand the bylaws as a part of their, as a part of their application. So a separate, you know, have that in the application form, maybe put that in bold, and maybe, again, if you don't have it, add language to your documents that says failing to provide updated information 
um, is grounds for an automatic relinquishment. So again, you don't have to take disciplinary action, but it, when you find out, um, you could uh, trigger, you know, pull the trigger and have it be an automatic relinquishment of appointment and clinical privileges. So Charlie, what about the um, querying the data bank? Isn't there like a requirement that you do that every two years? And how does that affect this? You know, yeah. we change the standard here. Yeah, that's just, that's just one thing that you know we wanted to mention. I don't want to say in closing because I'm going to leave that to Susan to do the closing. I have one other point. To make, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act, and that's the federal law that created the National Practitioner Data Bank, it says right in the statute that you have to query the data bank for your medical staff members every two years. So that's a little bit of a conundrum if you're going to move to a three-year um, appointment period. That being said, a lot of the hospitals, if not most of them that I'm working with, are using continuous query. And the continuous query function um, informs you when there's a report to the National Practitioner Data Bank uh, in a fairly rapid fashion ab about those reports to the data bank. And the data bank has said that continuous query satisfies that every two-year querying requirement because you're getting all the reports as they're being made or in a short time thereafter. So just want to um, mention that for those hospitals that uh, do not have continuous query, uh, if you move to a three-year reappointment um, time frame, you're going to have to query every two years still. And just one other issue that's come up with a couple of clients, they've asked about, you know, can they apply this standard retroactively? And I have to say that when I first heard it, I'm like, of course not. I'm like, what do you mean? Can you reply it retroactively? Like, I thought they meant like going back of the past year, and everyone's now going to be three years. Uh, as it turns out, what they were really asking was, you know, if we have just reappointed people after the Joint Commission changed its standard, but before we've amended our bylaws, do we have any wiggle room? And and I said, yeah. I mean, I think if you you know, at the end of December, reappoint, and some people do a lot of their staff, <laughs> you know, half their staff at a point, a time, point in time, which may or may not be a good idea. But if you just reappointed people the end of this month, the end of December, and then you change your bylaws in February, I think you could go back and say that all of those reappointments are going to be three-year reappointments. I think that would be perfectly fine. You can't, I wouldn't go back further than the Joint Commission standard, obviously. The standard took place in the middle of December. I wouldn't go back to November and do it for those people who are reappointed. But I do think you have a little bit of flexibility there. So with that, I think, you know, uh, probably covered at least some of the questions you might have. Yeah. I think that um, this is going to be a welcome change. I think it's going to be a change that's not going to be that hard to implement um, and, and maybe make everyone's life just a little bit easier. But but again, you're probably going to, you might want to make sure you're doing that OPP and, and FPP with concerns. Make sure you're getting that information, acting on that information in a timely fashion and, and getting updated information from your members as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks for joining us.